We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Chrissy Mackin, who runs a career coaching consultancy in Washington, D.C. that's focused on helping professionals break free from toxic work environments, find meaningful work that they love, and unapologetically get paid what they're worth. Chrissy is also a salary negotiation workshop facilitator with the American Association of University Women, who aim to close the gender pay gap by 2030. Chrissy, welcome. Thank you for having me, Danny. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I would like to announce to you and to our listeners that I just did something this very minute professionally that I've never done for myself before that I think has just improved the quality quality of like my work life mm, a hundredfold. Tell me more. So I've been doing this podcast now for <laughs> well over three and a half years. And I've always recorded it in the exact same studio. And I have always, always thought, boy, the lights in here are very, very bright. I wish they weren't so bright. <laughs> and today, three and a half years in, I thought, what if I use the dimmer switch that's <laughs> very prominently located next to the door to dim them? And I did. That is excellent. There are many studies about lighting levels and your well-being in the workplace. So, I'm sure that Good are. on you. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm curious now if my advice will start to become um, like sneakier or more subtle as I feel like, <laughs> well, I can get away with more. There's not a bright like Klieg light over my head uh, laying me uh, bare and exposed before, you know, the eye of an unfriendly god. Um, <laughs> now, now this advice is with mood lighting. I have a feeling you'll be okay. <laughs> is it Klieg light? I've realized I, I've only ever read it. I've never said it out loud. I don't know if it's Klieg light or Klieg light. Or I don't. That's a great question. Klieg light. Somebody will surely let us know. How are you today? How's your work environment? How toxic is it on a scale of one to three mile island? I, <laughs> I'm doing great. My work environment is wonderful um, since I've I I broke free from a toxic work environment and formed my own company so yep. um, so yeah I, I set my own rules and sometimes that's not great right <laughs> being my own boss um, but yeah it's work environment is great these days 
I'm so glad. I'm I'm also glad for that phrase because I was really saying I, I was talking about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. I feel like when applied to people, I don't love the mm-hmm. use of the word toxic, um, but uh, I, I feel totally fine applying it to companies and workplaces, um, mostly because companies aren't people. Um, so I was glad to read that in the bio and realize, oh, yeah, this is a totally appropriate situation <laughs> to use that word. I just mostly yes. want to try to wean us all off of um, mm-hmm saying toxic when we mean something else when it comes to individual human beings. Yes. So this is exciting. Uh, You and I are both appropriately lit. Would you like to read our first letter about uh, there's nothing to do with work at all? Yes, I, I would love to. So subject, regret as mother of the bride. Dear Prudence, I drank too much at my daughter's wedding. I flitted around thanking people for attending. I danced some in a non-offensive way. At the end of the evening, regret set in, and I said some things to people very close to me about being embarrassed and worthless and stupid. I've asked and I've been told less than five people saw this, and they are close family who have said this was the extent of my bad behavior and that I shouldn't worry about it. My daughter did not witness it. It's been several weeks and I can't stop thinking about it. I hate that I ruined one of the important events for me, if not for others. Also, getting drunk is not a frequent occurrence for me. How can I move past this? So this was a a little bit of a refreshing change of pace because, like, I Mm -hmm. saw the subject line and I was like, oh, boy, I bet it's bad. (laughs) Yes. But actually, I think this is, you know, not so bad. Um, Which is not to say that that will make the letter writer feel better. But I think it's really good that, you know, the people that you have talked to have all um, kind of uniformly said, uh, you know, you didn't do anything that embarrassed other people. You restricted mm-hmm. your kind of like intense vulnerability to people you're already close with. We don't think less of you for it. Um, so so that I think is yeah. good. You didn't say something offensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I do think if you had embarrassed other people, you probably would have heard about it by now, mm-hmm. either through your daughter or through somebody else. Um, so I don't think your friends are just saying uh, I don't think they're just saying that to placate you. I think genuinely right. you probably kept it um, closer than you would have liked. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard when the thing you're embarrassed about is that you got very, very emotional and and really down on yourself. Um, you don't say much about whether or not um, you feel that way the rest of the time. So I think I'll probably assume that that's the, that that's the case, that you don't normally feel this way about yourself, that it was more with like being a sort of maudlin drunk that you were trying to say, I regret how I was, you know, really enthusiastic earlier tonight. And it just came out in a way that was very self-deprecating. You, mm-hmm. letter writer, will better be able to um, kind of investigate yourself. If there's a part of you that actually does feel worthless a lot of the time, and this was the sort of only way you could let yourself acknowledge it, um, you know, it might be worth talking to them about it again sober, maybe even seeing a therapist, because that's a really hard feeling to have to carry around. Yeah, I agree. My my very short answer to the how can I move past this was, well, with curiosity, right? Like what's first of all, I also had a question about two ways to interpret when she was referring to feeling embarrassed and worthless and stupid. Was yeah. it that she was drunk and dancing and quote unquote flitting around? And if that's the case, like if that's what she had said, oh, I'm feeling embarrassed and worthless and stupid, 
I, I think a really kind question for yourself is sort of why why is just objective, unfiltered joy something that feels that like I don't deserve that mm. um, or that like what have I built up in terms of beliefs around like why dancing and celebrating, right, um, decouple that from the drinking piece is um, is something that's out of reach here. And if it's like what you were saying, Danny, more generally, like, oh, it took maybe having too many drinks to start saying these things about myself that maybe I always believe mm -hmm. um, that I'm worthless or stupid or embarrassing, uh, you know, how, what what is that about how did I kind of get to thinking that about myself? And, and to your point, a, th a therapist can be a great person to talk about those things if those are the questions that are popping up for this person. Right. And my guess is I think probably this letter writer is a slightly self-conscious person a lot of the time with like a, a, a low embarrassment threshold, yes. which I can absolutely relate to. Um, so if just in general, you're often a little nervous about how am I coming across right now? Am I taking too much space? Am I being too loud? Are other people thinking that I'm embarrassing? Um, if that's something that's frequently just tricky for you, I can totally understand why, you know, halfway through the evening after you've gotten drunk, which you don't normally do, and it lowers your yeah. inhibitions, you're like, oh my goodness, I was really friendly and I danced and I put myself out there in ways I normally don't. I'm a, I'm a, I'm terrible. I'm garbage. Um, I can understand where that sentiment came from. And I just totally. think that um, this is one of those moments where you get to say, uh, I, I think this is just the part of my brain that's very, very self-conscious. I don't have to answer that voice every time it pops up in my head. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that you ruined it for anybody. Like I get letters from people who straight up have ruined weddings your letter did not resemble any of theirs. But again, th these handful of people that you're close with, I, I think it'd be fine to go back to some of them and say, like, uh, I, I, you know, I'm just having a hard time shaking this. I feel really self-conscious and uh, I just find myself thinking about it a lot just so that they know what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily so they can reassure you, no, 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 you were fine, but just so that they know that you're having a tough time being kind to yourself right now. And hopefully that they would hear that and say, I'm so sorry. I love you. Sometimes I feel that way myself. And you can kind of connect over that rather than um, feel like I'm the only person who's ever done this. and I'm the only one who feels this way. But, you know, I think some of it, too, is probably just that like weddings are big, high pressure days. And it's like right. my daughter's only going to get married once, hopefully. And it's over now. And it happened like this and i wish it was different and but, yeah and i didn't behave the way i would have otherwise wanted yeah but like she yeah. got married she had a good day you're gonna get to have a lot of days with her and her partner and celebrating family this is not the final word on what you're like as a mother of a bride now wife totally um and i'll just I'll like i'll just say too i can i can also really relate to like as you may or may not know oftentimes people who spend a lot of time on twitter like we use a lot of like very, um, let's say, exaggerated language about self-loathing that's often very, like, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, um, but certainly, like, doesn't necessarily translate to the real world. So, like, I remember once a, or a year or two ago, I was, like, just, I had been too much on Twitter that day, and I, like, went to a coffee shop and ordered coffee and realized I'd forgotten my wallet, and I said something like, the guy was like, oh, it's no problem, and I said something like, oh, no, I'm so sorry, I'm human garbage. And it was one of those things that's, like, on Twitter, that's fine, but when you made, say that yeah. out loud to a human being, they're like, are, are you okay? You and just like, watch their jaw drop. Yeah, 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 and I just was like, <laughs> oh, I I hope I never have to come here again, and it's awful. Um, <laughs> it happens, you're not alone. We took it all. We brought them to our land. 
An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah. Um, so this next one, mm, the subject is the subject is the subject line is more worrying than the letter itself. So if anyone hears yeah. this and they they kind of panic, don't worry, it does get better. Um, but the subject is, can I ask my business partner if he has cancer? So, dear Prudence, I am the sole owner of a shop in a fairly uncommon niche business. For the last couple of months, I've been working with an independent contractor, Steve. We were friendly before we started working together. And while we're not especially close, we're, we are friendly and occasionally chat about non-work matters. We meet about once a week and stay in contact over text during the week about business. I went through a very serious personal tragedy in the last year, and he's been a great help. So he does know more about my personal life than I'd otherwise think is ideal. A mutual friend of ours texted a while ago asking if Steve has cancer. Apparently, he mentioned something about it on social media. We're not Facebook friends, so I can't see the post, and I don't think it's any of my business. I'd feel gross snooping around on social media to find out. I've decided that other people's medical issues aren't any of my business, and that if he thought I needed to know, he would tell me, since he isn't exactly a shrinking violet. It's been two months since that text, and I'm still regularly anxious about it. I'm not rattled by cancer, and I know plenty of survivors. In fact, I know from their experiences that sometimes people can really freak out and act in unhelpful and insensitive ways if they choose to disclose their diagnosis. So I've always been careful not to be like that. But Steve has become a more and more important part of my business over the last couple of months, and part of me thinks it might be relevant going forward. And now for the embarrassing part. I have to admit that I have a searing crush on him. Widow's fire is very real, as it turns out. Because of our business relationship, I'm doing what I can to smother that crush, and I think I've been professional about it. But it doesn't help my anxiety about his health. I'm not proud of this, but part of me just wants to know if my crush has cancer, and I'd be lying if I said that wasn't a factor. I'm just not that great at compartmentalizing. But I do make an effort. To be perfectly clear, because of the way the business and the partnership are set up, there are no laws preventing me from asking about his health in a friendly way. There's no established hierarchy, and we don't report to each other. That obviously doesn't make it a good idea, though. If I asked and he told me it's none of my business, I'd obviously drop it forever and put it out of my mind. But I'm torn on whether it's helpful or even acceptable to ask in the first place. Do I mind my own business, or is it okay to inquire once? Hmm. <laughs> Lots going on here. Lots going on in here. Absolutely. Also, I think this is the first time I've ever come across the expression widow's fire. Yeah, I was going to ask you... <laughs> You knew what that was. I've not heard of that before. I'm not familiar with it. I couldn't tell if the letter, because the letter writer alluded to a personal tragedy, and I didn't know if she was referring to herself as a widow. Like losing a partner, yeah. And like feeling a profound desire now to connect or date or have sex or be intimate with somebody. That seems like the most obvious read. The only other read I could possibly put on it would be like 
I would want to be his widow. I have a fire to be his widow. That doesn't seem, Mm. as I say that out loud, that seems far more implausible. I think it's got to be the first one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's what I'm going to go with on that one. So assuming that that's the read, what is your take on this? So in the first paragraph, the letter writer says they feel confident that if any issue would impact Steve's work performance, that that you would know because he would say something. So I I think the question here isn't really about you needing to know for the sake of your business, but more that maybe you're rattled because you're in love with this person and they might be sick. Um, that was kind of my read on it was that the second half was the more unfiltered, like here's one, here's kind of what this is really about um, in terms of what's driving them to know or to want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if the personal tragedy they experienced ha- did have something to do with losing a partner, I could totally understand how that would feel scary and overwhelming and I need to know and I just I just want to ask once and if not if I don't know then I'll shut up about it and that's fine but um, I can understand the drive right yeah. to know if you have feelings for someone and you think they might be sick yeah so I, I would say I think it's important to clarify here you know it sounds like Steve is really on top of things professionally so if his if he does have cancer and if it ever got to a point where he needed help running his his side of the business, I think you can trust that he will handle that for himself. Um, so I, I think it's kind of good to drop the sort of semi plausible business excuse, which is you have absolutely no reason to think that in the near or short term uh, anything's going to change about your working relationship. Um, and that you can trust that if that were to change, that he would let you know. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a smokescreen. I don't think that's really why you want to ask. Um, I, I think it feels like that would lend some legitimacy to the real reason. But if you were honest with yourself, I don't think you are like, man, I'm genuinely worried uh, that something's going to go wrong with shipping in eight months. And so I need to know. <laughs> right. You, you don't on that level. And again, that doesn't mean you only want to know because you're, you know, nosy and prurient and and a jerk. Um, I just I think it's always good to be honest with yourself about your real motives. And the real motives are, you know, one, he knows something very personal and painful about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a certain closeness there, um, if if a bit one-sided. Um, the other one is, you know, that's distressing to find out about anyone. And it's unclear. And it's hard to know something potentially distressing about somebody that you care for. Um, even if you didn't have a crush on him, it would still be something that you might worry about. So that's very understandable. Um, and then the other one is, as you say, you know, Part of you is kind of in love with this guy and part of you wants to help him in any way that you can. And part of you feels like, you know, if he's just holding back because he doesn't think that I would want to know, I would. And I wish I could signal that to him so that he could, you know, lean on me and I could be there for him, even if it doesn't mean he feels the same way. Um, So with all that said, I think some of those reasons, all those reasons are totally understandable to me. They don't necessarily mean that I think this person should do anything. What would you recommend? Would you say, yes, ask, but be ready to back off? Would you say, nope, let him tell you? What's your read here? I think once the letter writer is clear on why do I want to know, right? Like, what's the part of me this is going to kind of calm down, either finding out an answer or being told it's none of my business? Um, I think at that point, I mean, if they have a close relationship, 
the letter writer could ask, um, or at least uh, it's kind of tough because they found out from someone else sending them social media content, right? So, right. Um, yeah, I would I would say I'm, I'm going to talk my way yeah. through this because I don't have yeah. a really I don't have a good I'm, I'm leaning towards not asking, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like I yet have a hard and fast reason for that. Um, there's 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 reason to believe that Steve is on the one hand not keeping this a total secret. Um, it I, certainly it would depend on like how how locked down his various social media accounts are. But if, if he was at least um putting something on social media such that your mutual friends could see, that that to me suggests um that he is comfortable a little bit with letting people in his life know about this diagnosis or potential diagnosis. Um, and I, I could certainly, um, imagine, you know, if I heard from someone else about a possible announcement that someone had made, right. It's not like your friend said, I saw him going into a hospital or he's right. It was just very different. Yeah. You know, I could certainly see myself saying, Hey, our mutual friend mentioned that you had posted something about a potential diagnosis. Obviously I don't want to crowd you. Um, I I hope you're doing really, really well. If you ever want to talk about it, I am here for you. And if you don't want to talk about it, um, I won't ask. Um, I think that would probably be the best way to do it. Um, and, you know, again, like I think you have grounds there, which is that like someone we both know told me about an announcement that you had made. Like that's not I went through your trash or uh, I, I, you know, ran into you in a doctor's office. That's yeah. Um, and what I like about what you said, too, is it doesn't even necessarily point blank ask Steve. Right. It's more of I. Right. I heard this. If this is something you want to talk about, that's fine. If not, you can like we can dismiss the topic right now as well without even putting Steve in a corner of, oh, do you have cancer? I heard you might have cancer. Do you have cancer? And and I think that that would be if you're going to do it, that would be the way, which is just um, a a mutual friend said that they had seen you write something about a diagnosis. And and again, just making it really clear. if you would like to talk about it, I'm totally here. If you don't want to talk about it, and I can completely understand why you wouldn't, I won't bring it up again. Um, but so so you could, and I think, and it, it does sound like you are definitely prepared to back off if he doesn't want to. The, the one thing that I would say spend a little time thinking about first is, you know, you say that you've shared something really personal with him and that that's not what you would consider ideal. And so... I would just reflect carefully on, do you think there's any reason that he might um, feel like he does not want to deepen this working relationship, that he's very comfortable at the level of intimacy the two of you are at, and that part of the reason he has decided not to share this with you um, is because, uh, you know, he likes having at least this one part of his life where it's not a subject Mm -hmm. of conversation, um, and he does not, in fact, want to be closer to you than you are. Right. And with that is the line of if I asked and he told me it's none of my business, I'd obviously drop it forever and put it out of my mind. I don't know that we know that we can put things out of our mind just Mm -hmm. because, right, that in that I think is something very similar that if you don't get the information, is it going to actually calm this anxious part of you down that that really wants to know for a variety of reasons? Right. Because I do think, again, I don't want to like read way too much into this, but like if the two of you have known each other this long and you meet this regularly and he's like chosen not to, you know, have even a, a social media kind of uh, relationship with you outside of your working relationship, 
I, I would just wonder again, that's not to say that's the only reason he would do it is because he wants to put up huge walls. But I would just kind of to the best of your ability, try to, without wishful thinking, investigate the way that he talks to you or the way that he does or doesn't initiate conversations like if you do think that he kind of has sent some signals that he prefers to keep some personal boundaries up, then I do think um, you might feel better leaving that alone and and the relationship might be able to stay more comfortable for both of you. But again, some of that's a little bit of a reach. I, I don't see any like smoking guns in here where I'm like, man, Steve has really signaled to you. He does not want you to get any closer. You really need to stop while you're right. ahead. Um I, I think give this some careful consideration. Give this some thought. Maybe write down like if I ask him and it's uncomfortable, how will I move past that? Um, how will I be able to help put him back at ease given that he's already dealing with potentially the stress of a cancer diagnosis um, and then prepare for not talking about it very much. And that, you know, it just again, investigate if there's any part of me you know, you've been through a lot this year, too. And so I want to be kind to you, letter writer. I don't want to suggest that you're like doing anything wrong here or that you are reading a bunch of things into the scenario that that aren't really there. I, I want to make that so clear. I think that you sound like a really together person who's working as hard as you can to be compassionate and caring and to handle the fact that you have really strong feelings for a guy that you work with. So with all that said, if you feel like I think mostly I would just be asking because I just want to be so close to him and I'm worried about um, opening up that part of myself that I have to manage a lot, you know, be careful of that. Take care of yourself. Look after yourself. Um, and if you do find a way to talk to him about it that he can be receptive towards and you're able to learn more, maybe it'll put your mind at ease. Maybe he's not ill. Um, maybe there's something that you can do to be helpful. Maybe he'll tell you, but he'll say, I just really want to focus on work when I'm at work. So just let us know what happens one way or the other. I would love to hear back from you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next one is all you again. All right. Subject, headphone etiquette for everyone else. Dear Prudence, I'm a frequent headphone user at work. I've seen quite a lot of advice columns about etiquette and protocol for using headphones in the workplace, but none for how everyone else should approach headphone users. I work in an industrial environment and headphones are forbidden on the floor, but I use mine in the break room. The trouble I have is that my coworkers frequently interrupt me to complain, gossip, ramble about sports, their grandchildren, or other things that I really don't care about. I try to be patient and polite, even when they're offended when I pull out one earbud and ask them to repeat. If someone has something important to tell me, I will take out my earbuds and give them my full attention. But I don't like being at the beck and call of idle chatter when I'd much rather be meditating to thrash metal. Is there a polite way to get people to let me be? These people are monsters. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're in the break room. Can't you're we all on, just take a break? You're on break wearing headphones. The two yeah. universal signs of I'm not at work. Right. I'm not available for conversation. Yeah. This is I the way I was looking at this one, some people like to relax by putting on their headphones and listening to thrash metal, I would fit way more into this category than the other one, which is sort of complaining, right? Like just like talking it out in the only time you have available to um, to relax. And so, um, yeah, can you think of it in terms of strategies? Um, how can you kind of look at it from the perspective of inviting people to help you get your quiet time? So, um, you know, you may think they're 
rambling about their grandchildren or sports or whatever is annoying. I would agree with you that, that it is, especially if I want to listen to my music. Um, but saying something like, you know, I would really like some quiet time to just get myself back together before it's time to go back to work. Um, I'm not available to talk right now. Uh, something like that that isn't – it's not about what they're going to – like. The, it's not a judgment on the content of what they're going to tell you, but it's more about here's what I need in this moment because we're in a stressful industrial work environment and I need this 15 minutes or half an hour to just take a breath and collect myself. Yeah. I, I am with you. And I also I, I think you are going to have to be slightly firmer than you might otherwise want to be, because if they don't see somebody wearing headphones in the yeah. break room and realize, like, probably I should leave this person alone, they are not going to pick up on a lot of hints. So I think you just if somebody tries to get your attention, uh, frankly, if you're on break, I think it's sort of fine to just point to your headphones and mouth like can't talk now. I actually think that's fine. Or even just like I'm on break. Sorry. Um, if. If you don't want to do that, I think it's also fine to like lift up one half of your headset or pull out one earbud and just say, hey, sorry, I'm actually on break and I can't talk right now and then put it right back in. Like, don't get that's it. You're you're not you're not listening to them ask a question. You are pulling it out long enough to say, sorry, I'm on break right now. Can't talk. Um, and then popping it back in. Um, if you need some sort of other visual aid to, you know, pretend that you're like pull out a book or like get a stupid clipboard that kind of makes it look like you're filling out boring forms for your, you know, I don't know, exciting personal life. Um, I, I wish you didn't have to do that. But yeah, like haul out a book, haul out your phone, lie if you need to. Just be like, oh, sorry, I'm actually listening to a voicemail from my mom right now. You know, just make up whatever shit you have to. Yeah. And I suppose it's possible, like if this person has the kind of headphones that just go in your ear but don't have the they don't connect back to anything, right? The Bluetooth headphones. It's right. possible that some people might not see them right away, right? right? And so, right, to just, like you said, Danny, pop one out and say, oh, I'm sorry, just I'm on break. Yeah. I, or I'm, or I, whatever, right? That That's it. If yeah. you can, and this would be, I think, uh, you know, if, if all of this is kind of failing, another option is, and this is a little bit of money, but if you can, get like the big over-the-ear headphones, yeah. the cheapest ones you can find. And put them over your actual like little AirPods if that's what you have or just like littler ones so that there's a big visual I can't talk uh, cue that people who might not see otherwise if you've just got the little things dangling barely out of your ears. Get some big fake earphones to signal the real ones. <laughs> Massive universal symbol for please leave me alone. Yeah. But yeah. basically, yeah. you know, your basic question is just like, am I allowed to say, sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm on break. Yes. Say 100%. that. hundred percent. Just yeah. say, I got to get back to this. You know, something that's both vague and true. It kind of makes it sound like you might be on a conference call. Right. Um, yeah. And you don't. they don't have to know it's thrash metal. You don't have to be like, sorry, I have to get back to this important album. Just, you know, <laughs> got to get back yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Much in the same vein, uh, our next letter, the subject is simply coworker, but it's yes. very much along the same lines. And I think it's my turn now. This is you. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, dear Prudence, I have been, quote, politely pressed into giving a ride every day to my coworker after her car got totaled four months ago. We live 15 minutes away from each other. I need help in the morning and she needs her job. It should make sense. But my coworker is a mess. Half the time she's too late or still arguing with her 14-year-old son to actually get off his butt and help out around the house. She rants about her ex, her kids, and how awful her life is. She doesn't want to do anything about it, though. 
It took her two weeks to even file an insurance claim, and my advice about taking away the video games and internet internet until her kids shape up was met with, but then they would be bored. Instead, I get the same litany of woes going on and on. It's like being stuck on a hamster wheel in hell. Her chaos is driving me crazy. I don't care about the gas money. I would rather have the good opinion of her that I had three months ago. I am honestly starting to feel nothing but contempt for her, and it's affecting our work relationship. How do I get out of this? Yeah. It was unclear to me what the letter writer meant when they said, I need help in the morning. I need help in the morning. Right. That was my one question because it sounds – I mean – this the letter writer is going to the coworker's house, right, right. to pick her up. It, that's what I gather is they must be going going over to the coworker's house to pick them up. Um, so is help gas money? But I mean, it didn't. Yeah, that's the one piece I. I right. Yeah. So like, unsure. whatever she's helping you with, you were apparently able to get by without her help up until a couple of months ago. Yeah. So I would just say get that help from somebody else. Um, I wish yeah. I knew a little more about what that was. But, um, yeah, you know, you didn't used to do this. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable. But I, I think to me, this one's really straightforward. Just let her know, like, hey, starting from X date and, you know, give her a week if you can. I think that would be kind to, to give her a little time to start making other arrangements. But give her nothing to work with. Like, um, she needs to solve the problem of how she gets to work on her own. She needs to solve the problem of whether or not she's going to get her car fixed on her own. So don't say, like, because of this reason, I can't give you rides anymore because she's just going to try to argue that. So just go ahead, kind of like in that last one where just, like, be vague. Make it sound like it's a little outside your control. So, like, what's today? The, like, 15th of June? Say, like, hey, starting on June 31st, I'm not going to be able to carpool anymore. And I wanted to give you a lot of heads up so that you could figure out something else. That's it. Yeah, on this one, I think I think setting the boundary is going to be easier than holding it, right? Because yeah. the coworker is going to want to probably give you a lot of reasons to still help her out. Um, I, I've never totaled a car before, but four months seems like a really long time to still have this as an open item. I may just be <laughs> really off on I'm, that. I'm but, sure she has like her life does sound yeah, overwhelming everything it's else is getting in the way to get a car fixed yeah. i'm sure she has absolutely legit reasons like I, that I it's don't, just not yeah. i don't want to suggest she's just a malingerer but like no you can't solve this for her as her Mm-mm. co-worker you have been very helpful to her for a number of months yeah um and it's totally fine to say like starting from whatever date i can't do this anymore um and if she tries to ask you for more information I, you just gotta hold with like Hey, I, I don't really want to talk about my personal life, um, but I just want to let you know the important information that is necessary for you to figure out what you're going to do next. Um, and that's it. And that might feel a little uncomfortable, yeah. especially if she's real nosy. But like she's your coworker. She cannot force you to say why um, you need to go back to that relationship you have before. You just got to stick with. Can't do it. Sorry. You're going to have to find something else. Yeah. I think that's clearer is better on this one in terms of pick a date and go with it. Yeah. Um, and if she seems inclined uh, to start trying to like seek you out to complain to you at work once she no longer has the avenue of the car ride. Yeah. Um, I just, again, you really need to hold that line of like, hey, is this about work? Because if it's not, I'm actually pretty busy and I need to get back to it. And you say that over and over again until she realizes that this well is dry. Yeah. The other thing to consider too is if she sees you getting ready to leave. So I, I assume this arrangement is 
picking her up in the morning and going to work and right. then dropping her off at home. Right. That the the hard part will be when you go to leave the office. Yeah. Or the job, right? That she comes up and says, oh, you're leaving. I Can I bum a ride home, right? And you're yeah. kind of constantly stuck in that interaction yeah. of saying no. Um, and that that will be something to look out for. Yeah. And again, I don't want you to feel like you have to make up like – 18 dying uncles Excuse- or like a new <laughs> yeah. piano karate tournament that you're worried about. You just need to say with like, actually, I'm not heading in that direction today. Sorry. Or like even just like, actually, I'm not available to give you a ride. Um, That's it. That's all yeah. you got to do. Um, yep. And and same thing, even in the like interim and in, in whatever amount of time is um like left to you of ride sharing, I think it's totally appropriate for you to say like, hey, I I, I need to be to work on time. So tomorrow I'm going to have to leave at nine. Um, I just want to let you know, because, you know, if you want to ride with me, you'll have to be ready to go at nine. And if not, you'll have to find another way to get to work and really just do that. And don't do it like angrily or punitively. But you can just say like, hey, as we said, I'm leaving at nine. So um, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'll be doing that. Yeah, I this. Yeah. That part of the letter reminded me when I was in high school, I was I was one of those nerds who went to summer school to mm-hmm. take classes early, like not because I failed anything, but because I wanted to take extra classes. I was classes. one of those burnouts who went to summer <gasps> school because I had to. <laughs> I chose to like a like a big nerd. And um, and my friend's mom what was driving us. And I was the person who couldn't get it together to get in the car on time. And it took one time of her saying, Okay, well, we're leaving your driveway at 730 and you're like whether you're in the car or not. And after the first day that 731 hit and they pulled out without me and went like I got myself together to make sure I was ready. So it's on that piece as well, like setting the boundary of if we need to be to work by nine, I need we need to be leaving your driveway by 815. That means at 815 you leave. And if not, then they need the coworker needs to figure out arrangements in the next 45 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. That that's okay to do too. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, you know, even stuff like trying to give her advice about her kids. Like, I hope you've already stopped trying to give her advice, but like, don't feed the beast. You know, like, first of all, it does sound irritating, but also like, you don't know her kids. Like you see them a couple of times a week. Don't, you know, don't get more involved in a situation you want to be less involved in. Um, So just, you know, you know, if you need outs of the conversation, you can either just do a lot of bland, like, oh, I'm sorry, that sounds tough, um, which does not give her a lot of conversational purchase. Or you can even, again, this is like an appropriate thing to say to a coworker, like, hey, this is getting kind of heavy. Do you mind if we talk about something else now? Like, that's a polite thing to say. That's not like, you awful parent, you sack of garbage. Right. I hate mm-hmm. you and you have an unprofessional mouth shape. Like, it's just... <laughs> Yeah. Can we talk about something else? That's a totally okay thing to say. My worry is that you're you're going to not say the reasonable no's that you have available to you and wait until you blow up at her. And now you're the problem because you're the one who brought this into the work environment. So, you know, do the do the, the medium hard thing now so that you don't do the like really wild, belligerent, awful thing later that you have to walk back. Yeah. All right. Um I, I love every time I do this. I forget like halfway through the episode. I'm like, who read the last letter? Where I think am you re- I? You what read the last one, I think. Great. So then you yes. get to read our this last letter. It is yes. all you. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> this is why you went to summer school on purpose and I went <laughs> on compulsion. <laughs> Subject work. Dear Prudence, I have a neurological disorder that affects my balance. 
Good days, I am like everyone else. Bad days, I need a cane. Very bad days, I can't get out of bed. I am on medication, but that only lessens and does not eliminate my symptoms. I have a handicap sign on my car and have enough medical records that you could use them as a doorstop. My company, so far, has been very generous to me, and I never have much cause to think about the opinion of my coworkers until recently. Swimming and snorkeling are few activities I can happily do and not worry about an attack. I went on vacation with friends and posted pictures on Facebook. A coworker contacted me and forwarded me a screenshot of a private call-out Facebook post. Several of my coworkers made fun of my vacation photos and questioned my disability. They basically called me a liar, a scammer, and an attention seeker, that I only use my cane to gain special privileges like getting the closest parking spot. One of the worst is someone I have to see every single day to do my job. Before this, I would have considered us friendly. The coworker who forwarded this to me told me that she has heard similar comments, but she will not come forward officially, but thought I should know. I wish I didn't. I don't know what to do now. Nothing was said to my face, and there isn't any official work policy about social media, and I don't think this qualifies as a hostile work environment. I still get a pit in my stomach now anytime I see these women. Please advise. (sighs) This feels like just prime your territory. This is as toxic a work environment as I can think of. I am so sorry, letter writer. This is this is a terrible thing to experience. Um, and yeah, I, I whether or not something meets the legal letter of am I in a hostile work environment? I, I think in this situation matters a lot less than your environment has become toxic. Right? Something has happened that the way you feel going to work every day is no longer. Um, you know, if not something you enjoy doing, but, you know, at least something neutral. Now it's, you know, you have a pit in your stomach. You, you know, don't want to see these people. You don't know how to kind of relate in this situation anymore. And um, and I'm very sorry that this is the situation and how it kind of came into your lap that way. Um, finding out via forwarded social media post. Um, so I think... For the letter writer, part of the challenge is um, for them is to figure out how do they want to relate to this job moving forward. Um, and, you know, if the job is really meaningful and important to them, can they see themselves potentially addressing this with, um, if not each of those coworkers, perhaps the one that they have to work with every day? Um, do they want to consider letting HR know, knowing that there's the risk there if it didn't happen at work and it's on social media that, you know, HR may kind of push it into this category of not our problem. Um, but but what do they – whatever they do, it's going to require a level of vulnerability on their part um, and it's going to ask something of them. And the, the people around them, these coworkers haven't demonstrated a capacity for – kind of compassion or empathy or understanding. And so I, I, I kind of worry about all of the options here um, because it's, such, it's just such a hard situation to be in. Yeah. And so my first thought would be, you know, I, 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 I'm sure that the letter writer is probably slightly more like aware of what the protections are in their own workplace than I am. But I would just make really sure, like, you know, I, I know that there are 
at least two agencies that are supposed to help enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yep. There's the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Program, and there's also the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I, I would strongly recommend, um, you know, doing a little bit more investigating, possibly contacting a lawyer, certainly talking to somebody with some expertise about how the ADA can be enforced in the workplace, because I would not be surprised if uh, some of these uh, Facebook posts were made at work. Certainly, I think there's a case to be made that this affects your ability to work with them. Uh, and again, that's not that I'm saying like, I know you'd have a legal case here. I just mean if you were to get in touch with somebody from those agencies or a lawyer and then bring that to HR, that your company would, I think, have a pretty strong interest in shutting this down um, and 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 hopefully in protecting you. And I do think that that is a resource that I want you to, to at least be able to investigate because you should not have to go to these just absolutely monstrous, vile people um, and, and try to like resolve it yourself. Um, so if you have at all a good relationship with your boss um, or, or a supervisor, I would I would bring it up there first. And I would just say, um, this was brought to my attention. Um, it has completely um, changed my work environment. I, I find it impossible to work with these people. I'm deeply concerned about my ability to do my job. Um, I'm concerned about whether or not, um, like, this means that I'm going to be otherwise harassed about my disability. Mm-hmm. Um This is a serious concern and I need your help addressing it. Um, Like bring in the biggest possible guns that you have. Like I I think these women should be fired, um, frankly, but um, I don't know. uh, You know, it depends. Like there there are some workplaces that take employees social media Mm -hmm. use very seriously. Right. Some less so. The fact that they don't have an official policy in place, I don't think yet means that you don't have any potential recourse within the company. You're right, because a lot of HR policies or internal company policies, they kind of lag the, right, they may not yet address social media, but at minimum, this would be, um, there's, there's just because that policy doesn't exist would not, um, yeah, it wouldn't stop me from trying to communicate to someone <laughs> that this is a problem. And there's no scenario in where this just kind of fades. No. For you, you right? Like it's just, you this. can't un right. You can't unsee that. Yeah. And so, any way that you can protect yourself, and I by that I mean legally, but also kind of emotionally, right? You don't want to try to be um, in a more vulnerable position with people who have not at all demonstrated the ability to um, to handle that and to. Um, to engage with you meaningfully. Right. Um, so, yeah, if you do have someone who could be more of an advocate in the workplace, and if not inside the workplace, yeah, uh, employment lawyer would be a good option here um, to kind of help you understand what are your state laws? Are they more stringent than some of the federal protections? Um, and how might you bring this up internally? Yeah. And I, I, I hope that you do. I hope that you have people in your corner. Frankly, like, you know, that coworker who contacted you and forwarded you the screenshot like with a friend like that who needs enemies like I wish so much if they had wanted to help you um, what they should have done was you know said something to the women who made that post and and shut them down and reported it to their supervisors rather than showing you a screenshot so you'd have to live with that image in your head I mean and just for anybody listening I mean like if you have ever been tempted to a you know 
investigate or harass or or interrogate a, a disabled person um, because they like smiled one time or got in the water or weren't like a, an abject picture of suffering 24 hours a day. Like just you got to reconsider your fucking life, man. Like that their expectation of you was that if you've ever enjoyed a vacation or gotten in the water or experienced temporarily relief from one of your symptoms, that you are a fraud and a scammer just says so much about how they view people and and, and the value of other people and, and, and their ideas about humanity. And I hope that they all, you know, I'm not going to finish that sentence, but I sure will off the air. Um, you know, I just, I I, I wish dark days ahead for them and serious serious repentance um and i'm just really sorry and i hope you make a fuss about this at work i really really do and i hope you know if you need to go about that carefully slowly um piece by piece please do but tell the people in your life about this ask for as much help and support as you can you deserve it people should be rallying around you right now um and and i'm just so 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 sorry that you have to look at these people um And, you know, please don't feel like you have to be civil to them or friendly to them. You don't. Um, And if you need to just tell your boss, like, I need you to figure out a way to make sure that I never have to interact with them again. um, Please, please, please. I I just want that for you. Yeah, that's a great point, especially the one coworker that you see every day. If there's common projects or common meetings that you're in together, and if you're looping your boss into this and letting them know, here's what I've seen. And that, yeah, at minimum, work distribution needs to change in a way that you have as little contact as possible. Um, yeah, I and, and I would also consider with the, the friend coworker who forwarded this to you, um, you know, consider pushing on her as well to perhaps come forward officially or to to help support you in this in a meaningful way. Um, because while simply screenshotting it and sending it to you was um, not helpful, and now that you've seen this, you can't unsee it. Is she, you know, having understood now how this has impacted you and how it's completely changed the way you're able to relate to your environment and the way you experience your job, um, that, you know, might she reconsider if she's willing to help advocate for you as well it's just so clearly like again it's so clearly about like cruelty and control that like anybody who stopped for a second and thought is the act of like bobbing up and down in the water different from walking you know and might a person who needs a lot of help doing one be able to enjoy the other like of course it is so obvious like one doesn't involve putting weight on the lower half of your body and balancing in the same way um, the fact that they chose to ignore what is in fact incredibly obvious and incredibly simple says everything about like, I, I don't think that they're stupid women. Um, I, I think that they chose to turn that part of their brain off so that they could be cruel. And I think that they wanted to be cruel towards you. And I'm so sorry. And again, that's just like the viciousness and perniciousness of ableism. Um, and it's just, it's horrifying and it's cruel and it's everywhere. Um, and I hope if anybody listening, you know, has ever felt like a moment in their life where they were inclined to scrutinize somebody who parked with a particular like parking pass or in a particular spot, fucking let that shit go. That is not your damn job. It would be better to let a hundred people 
like, quote unquote, get away with doing that than to harass one person who has mm-hmm. a medical condition that's not immediately apparent to you. And right. it's just none of your fucking business. It's none of your business at all. And one other piece here that I'm wondering, the the coworker, the coworker who forwarded this to her said she had heard similar comments is assuming that was about this trip. But, you know, also was were the photos from this trip kind of an excuse for something that was already happening kind of out of earshot, right? Or maybe not on Facebook because there weren't posts to reply to. And just, I just want to pause to acknowledge like how betrayed and just totally the loss of trust you must feel with these people. And that, um, you know, anyone internally who you can help get on your, that you can get on your side to kind of help you um, resolve this in a way that feels right for you. Um, I, I can imagine that would be complicated with, you know, if people weren't posting on the Facebook post, were they saying something in the office separately? Like, I can imagine this feels very convoluted in a variety of different ways. Um, And were those people on the post the only people who had anything to say about it? Mm -hmm. You know, that's this is I'm so sorry for this letter writer in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. There's some serious accountability that these coworkers need to face. Like they they need to speak for the like they really need to look at and own up to those actions. And like, Um, frankly, like whether or not they go on some sort of meaningful journey, like at least as far as you're concerned, who fucking cares? What I want for you is to never have to work with them again. Um, for if you want an apology from them for you to get it, if you just want to never have to interact with them again for you to get it and for you to be in a workplace that um, takes you seriously, that takes harassment uh, based on like the disability that you have seriously and that protects you and is looking out for you. That's what I want for you. If they need to go on their own journeys, they can write me a letter later Let them and go. we'll figure their yeah. shit out. But um, yeah. that's not your problem. You don't have to worry about their damn journeys. So I think we have some time and I'm excited because this last uh, letter is not a letter. It's actually a voicemail, and it's been a while right. since I did one. Hi, Prudence. I have a low-stakes problem for you. Uh, I have a friend who's a little younger than me, and like most women, she apologizes for a lot of things that she should not, and uh, it is frustrating to listen to because I think she's awesome. Uh, I used to do it when I was a little younger, too. I'm a little older than her, so it feels a little patronizing to, to correct her on it, but she does it a lot and it amounts to like apologizing for her very existence at times and it's a lot to always say it's okay it's okay and it feels it feels it puts a burden on others to uh kind of uh ease her ease her social anxiety i think so i'm looking for kind scripts um tips on you know encouraging a friend to be like change their way of talking which is really hard to do i did it when i start to think about and i try to share this try to think about what i mean when i said i'm sorry like saying excuse me in a store instead of saying I'm sorry. But I don't want to come across like I'm lecturing her. So if you have any thoughts, please share. Thank you. Bye. So, yes, uh, the problem of apologizing a lot. Um, yes. And if it's a problem and how much it's a problem and 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 what we should all do about it collectively is is a, an ongoing conversation. What's uh, what's your experience here? Are you a big apologizer? Do you, do you not apologize ever? Where do you fall? <laughs> so I try to... I try to always check myself to say, is there something clearer I can say? So, um, you know, if I'm if I'm writing an email on something I'm I'm late on, for example, you know, 
am I actually sorry, sorry for being late or am I appreciative that someone has patience on me getting something to them, right? So I think there are some items like that where if I actually mean something else, I want to say something else so that when I'm apologizing, I'm actually like that apologizing is reserved for times when I want to apologize so that it doesn't sort of water that down. That being said, I don't know that like what wasn't clear from the voicemail was maybe some examples of where this person is is over apologizing because if they're feeling some social anxiety or if they think like, oh, I said the wrong thing or I I butted in or I interrupted in their apologizing, like that could actually be completely appropriate. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not necessarily I'm for <laughs> I'm for saying what you mean. <laughs> um, and if if something is clear, if it's clearer to say something that is not an apology, go with that. Um but that it's also totally okay to apologize if if that's what you want to do. Right. I, I feel at least like I sometimes hear people talking about like women should apologize less. And my thought is sometimes maybe other people should just apologize a little more. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily like women who need to change on this one. Like I, I do think there's certain forms of like conversational apology that I think do effectively communicate what I'm trying to do right now is check in to make sure that everyone else is still with me. So the like, sorry for being late or sorry if that wasn't clear. Right. Isn't mm-hmm. actually about like, I hate myself and I have no value and I lack all self-esteem and I'm just a pile of bones on the floor. It is, in fact, a polite, you know, feminine coded or, or whatever way of saying I want to acknowledge that I'm asking something of you all in this moment or I want to check in to make sure that the group is okay giving its attention to me or I want to make sure that I haven't um, uh, assumed something that I shouldn't have. And and I think that's usually pretty clear. So I, I am of the opinion that the sort of like common conversational apology is in fact not really a problem. It's a way of acknowledging either a gift of somebody else's time or um, – their, uh, you know, grace in dealing with uh, a new or an unusual thought or a way to check in to make sure, is this okay? Um, So, but that said, it does sound like um, this person also, uh, this is something to do with their anxiety and they will sometimes offer apologies that are basically like, hey, sorry for breathing or I'm sorry for having a feeling. Yeah. And as as the caller said, I think one of the things that's hard with that is like if you feel like you're lecturing somebody who's already starting from such a place of low self-esteem or anxiety, they'll just feel more beaten down. Um, so since you're friends, I would maybe encourage you to say something like in the moment, like, hey, I just want you to know if you feel like you have to apologize because it helps relax you or calm you down, that's totally OK. And I can make space for that. But just so you know, you don't have to. It's okay that you are saying this or feeling this. I'm happy to be here with you. Um, And so if going forward when you have these moments where you need to apologize, I'll acknowledge it. But um, I I don't want to get too much in a back and forth because um, it's actually not a problem. Yeah, I agree that especially given the relationship that they have, that there is an opportunity to just be loving and kind on this one. Right. And even say, you know, and and the the person who left the voicemail had one experience of of how they came to be apologizing so much and then how they kind of grew from that and that may or may not be what's going on for their friend right and so um yeah to just 
help that friend be curious about it and that that's and just know that yeah they that you're there to listen and that that you know you don't you don't need them to apologize just for existing or for feeling like you know they're they're in the way or a burden or something like that but like you know the example that the caller gives at the end saying excuse me in a store instead of saying i'm sorry that's fine and if that feels important to you to say great but i don't think that needs to be universally adopted i think they both serve the exact same purpose and i think they're pretty immediately like I was in a busy grocery store this morning and I probably um, said excuse me versus I'm sorry an equal number of times, partly just because like everybody needs to offer up a little variation on the sort of like social scripts that we use in public. And actually one of the very few pieces that I've written for Slate outside of the column was with Nicole Cliff a couple years back. And the whole thing was basically like if you're upset when uh, like service industry workers say no problem instead of you're welcome, you shouldn't be upset and you should let it go. Yeah. Um, so this is like one of the very few things that I actually feel strongly enough about to yeah. write essays about. When people are like, don't say no problem because that implies that it's a problem and it's not a problem because I'm coming here and paying for stuff. It's just like, come on, Calm you know down, what it guys. means. We all yeah. know what it means. It yeah. means it's fine. It's variations on it's fine. I'm happy to do this for you. Right. Or I'm going to pretend to be happy because I'm at work. Yeah. And and if I think about the example, the the person who left the voicemail said about, yeah, being in a store and saying, I'm sorry versus excuse me. I don't even I've never even paid attention to what I say. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would imagine I probably say a combination of both as well. Like when I tend to pay attention to it is if I'm writing an email or if I'm in a conversation, you know, but in, in like a, a passing interaction like that, it's just it's this it's they're equivalent really um yeah to say one or the other i don't i don't view that as problematic yeah yeah i, I do think sometimes in in like the quest to build more self esteem it can get a little bit into like because sometimes women don't get to take up the kind of space that we're entitled to. Um, I, I should like all the way up to and including saying, I'm sorry in a grocery store. Don't be sorry. You have a right to be in this grocery store. And I just think at that micro level, it might be overthinking it. And I would just say, I don't think that the the way that people talk there needs to change. I think it's fine to say I'm sorry. And so a lot of this I think is actually okay. But when it comes to the like, oh, I'm sorry for feeling, then I think you absolutely as her friend have have some room for a loving intervention. Um, and, and I would say too, I've had conversations with some of my friends, especially friends who have struggled variously with different kinds of like intense anxiety or depression. We can kind of talk about that where like they'll say, yeah, sometimes I say I'm sorry kind of compulsively um, and I wish I didn't do it as often and and I understand that it can be hard to hear and um, I can in turn say I get why you need to say it and I understand that it's not something that you necessarily are choosing to do in every moment and I will when we like talk or hang out just remember that like, okay, this is my pal who needs to say I'm sorry a lot and um, I can just... I don't have to have a big emotional response every time I can just say, mm-hmm. thanks for saying that. It's OK. Um, yeah. Meet him halfway. Or, or yeah. Or if the the caller knows from their friend that, oh, when I when I get into a pattern of apologizing or if you if you hear me over apologizing, maybe it means I'm feeling really socially awkward or I'm feeling anxious in this moment, in which case, hey, just ask me if I'm OK. Right. But yeah, it's less about like you said, it's less about quote unquote correcting the behavior and more about just kind of tuning in to um who is your friend and what do they need in that moment if if that's what's going on for them. 
Yeah. So I think about half and half here. Some of this you can let go. Some of this you should probably say something. And I hope that it goes great. And uh, I hope that in general, you know, we don't some because, yeah, you know, sometimes like as soon as we identify like, ah, women seem to apologize more than men. The problem is immediately now, like, how do we get women to change? Now, women go do this thing. Right. Why don't men all apologize a whole bunch? That would be fun. Right. Yeah. Oh, Chrissy, thank you so, so much for helping us kind of uh, detangle all these various work issues. Yeah. Thank you, Danny. I, I had a lot of fun and it was it was great to talk through some of these with you. Mm-hmm. If you could give one piece of general advice to everyone who might be listening to this at work or on their way to work or on their way home from work right now, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Oh, what would I say? Well, because I would tell them all, if your lights have dimmer switches, you should use, <laughs> use them. Use the dimmer switches. Yeah. So what I would say is that your surroundings, um, and that's your workplace surroundings, influence your understanding of kind of what is possible and what is out there for you. And what is your work environment teaching you? Um, What is the culture of that place kind of layering on top of your beliefs and what you know to be true for you? Um, And if what it's teaching you is constraining or makes you feel like you're in a ever more shrinking box that, um, you know, doing the work of figuring out where what is meaningful work look like for you and how might you better be able to connect to a place where you feel motivated and engaged and committed is um, can be a a real amazing process when you kind of come out the other side. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I personally feel like you inspired me to test my own dimmer switches today. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. And I hope we get to get you back on the show sometime soon. Thank you. That would be awesome. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. And on today's plus segment, there's just so many different ways to celebrate different kinds of relationships. And I'm so sorry that everyone in your life is like, no, you don't earn a KitchenAid mixer unless you find some guy who's willing to sign the same piece of paper as you. Like, first of all, nobody earns a KitchenAid mixer, you know, like Mm -hmm. you didn't earn it by marrying that dude. (laughs) Um, I didn't earn it by buying this house. The point of these parties are to celebrate and affirm and help one another, uh, like fill their home with the things that they can use to throw dinner parties and bake baked goods and create memories to listen to the rest of that conversation join slate plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.